Father, we give you all that we have this morning. Come and just be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
His will will always provide. He will never run dry. Well, we're so glad to have you here this morning. If you're new, we'd love to get to know you. There's a get to know you card right in front of you. If you want to just fill that out and hand it to an usher. Kids, you're dismissed. Go around and greet some of your family and faces this morning.
So we have Tim Masters this morning. Unless you're born of the water and the spirit, 
You cannot enter God's kingdom. The way of God's kingdom is so radically different from the ways of the world that Jesus says you have to start over. In other words, we can't come to Jesus and be like, I see the beauty of what you're doing. I see the majesty of what you're doing. I see the goodness of your kingdom. We can't come in half-hearted. Jesus says, if you're coming in, I'm going to remodel the whole thing. Right? You're going to, scripture goes so far as to say we are a new creation, which is a weird thing because on the outside we'll look the same. But the inside has been completely redone. And Jesus is, Jesus is kind of like, I can't just do a little bit. Like, you can't just come to me and be like, you know what, Jesus, your kingdom's going to be a better way. It's a better thing. I want to be a part of that. But I only want to give up the greed that's in my heart. That's the only thing I want to give up. Jesus is like, you know, <laughs> it's going to take a whole new you to embrace the kingdom that's coming. And we can only do this through Jesus, right? That's why we need Jesus. None of us would be able to walk in God's kingdom without Jesus making us new. And so the first shift happens there. It happens with repentance and us saying it's not about me or my way anymore. Now I'm going to follow Jesus. And in Romans 12, if you would turn there, Paul's writing to the church in Rome, to the believers in Rome. And he says it like this. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's Mercy. All right, we got to pause right there. You guys have a cross. All right, what Paul's about to tell the church, the Roman believers, he's about to tell them something, but he wants them to know before he tells them what he's going to tell them, he wants them to have in mind the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. That sacrifice, right? That mercy. He calls it God's mercy. God's mercy is Jesus went to the cross for us, right? We're all on the same page. He says, in view of God's mercy. So, whatever Paul's about to tell me, it's going to be really difficult for me to follow unless I keep the cross in mind. You're trapping me. Okay. He says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's another really weird statement because sacrifices typically don't live, right? They die. That's what makes them a sacrifice. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, I want you to live because of what Jesus has done. I want you to live as though you are dead. There's a new purpose. There's a new life for you. And the only way you're going to walk in that and embrace that new life is if you live as though you are actually dead. Right? Does that make sense? And we're only going to be able to do that because we can look to the cross and remember Jesus actually did die for us to be able to do this. He says, live your bodies or offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. He says, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper Worship, true and proper worship, is me laying my life down and saying, Jesus, because of what you have done, whatever you want from me is what I want. Right? That's your true and proper worship. He continues, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what is Paul saying to the church around? He's saying a shift has to take place, right? You, you have to offer your body as a living sacrifice. You can't conform anymore to the pattern of this world. This is what this tells me, is that there is an identifiable pattern of the way of the world, and there's an identifiable pattern of the way of the kingdom of God. And there's a process of us. Even though we've been made new, there's a process of me dying to this old pattern and embracing the new one. Does that make sense? We have to, we have to choose to walk in it. Right? Even though I've been made new, I'm going to choose, because of the cross, 
keeping God's mercy in view, I'm going to choose the way of Jesus. To be a Jesus follower means we have been recreated into the type of person who can shift the focus of their life onto living for Jesus in every way. Okay? And the Holy Spirit is the one that causes this shift to take place in us. Now, why is it so important that we live out this shift, this change in emphasis, this change in direction, this change in focus for our lives? Why is it so important? Or why does it matter? Well, it's about how we live, and the way that we live is the manner by which God is going to change the world through his church. So this is a massively important thing for us to not just claim Christ, but to actually walk with him through life and allow his life to become our life, okay? You know, when you become a follower of Jesus and you've taken this shift, sometimes everything about your life will change. Yeah. And it'll change dramatically. I mean, sometimes it is just a massive overhaul to your life. And sometimes when you come to follow Jesus, not much changes at all. And I want to explain the difference. In Matthew chapter 4, if you'll turn there, we're going to look at two different stories where Jesus changes people. And we're going to see the outcome of that change. And there's two completely different stories here. In Matthew chapter 4, going to verse 18... As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And then verse 19, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And what does verse 20 say? Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Other translations say it like this, they left all and followed, right? And we know this. If we track through the Gospels, we see their lives are completely different. They went from ordinary, everyday fishermen, which was a great occupation, right? They're fishing. They're supporting their families and all that good stuff. Their life is radically changed. They encounter Jesus, and they leave everything, and they go follow Jesus. They're walking with Jesus, and they're going and doing ministry with Jesus. These guys are going to become pillars in the church. You see what I'm saying? There's a dramatic change in their life, but that's not always the case. If we go to Mark chapter 5, which is really, I'm just telling you, Mark chapter 5 is a radical story. It just absolutely is mind-boggling. The more I'm going to try to get it to you in a very dramatic version because I think that's actually how we should read it. You know, the gospel writers, sometimes they write in certain ways because they're, they're trying to get us to pick up on cues. And so they'll repeat words and stuff because they want us to. Anyways, Mark chapter 5, I love this. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit. Okay, as of this moment right now in the story, how many spirits do you think this man has? One. Yeah, we think he's only got one. This story is going to ramp up very quickly. All right? They get out, and a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. We get some background information. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore. They tried, right? They used to be able to bind us. Now they can't even bind him anymore. This guy's situation is advancing, right? Not even with a chain, verse 4. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Verse 5, night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. 
this guy is having not just a bad day, he's having a bad life. Right? Do you see how Mark, in the writing of his gospel, he keeps amping this story up. He's like, yeah, this guy, he just, he had an impure spirit. He lived in the tombs. Oh, you know what else? He's also, like, freakishly strong. People have come and tried to help him by binding him. He just keeps breaking them. Oh, by the way, he's also cutting himself day and night and just screaming and hollering and caring. Dude's having a bad life. Have you ever been there? Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's okay. Verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, I love this. He, this guy with an impure spirit who's living in the tombs and doing all this stuff. He sees Jesus from a distance, and he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, I won't do that for you. Uh, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? This is crazy to me that this demon knows exactly who Jesus is, right? He tracked him here. What do you want with me? And he says, I love this. In God's name, don't torture me. That's a shocking moment right there in the story, right? Like this guy, you, you got to capture this imagery, right? If, if this dude lived in Urbana, this would hit harder, right? You got a guy who's demon possessed. He can't be bound anymore. He's superhumanly strong because of the demon that's possessing him. People are terrified of this man. He lives away from the people in the tombs, cutting himself and hurting himself. Jesus literally just shows up on the beach. That's it. Jesus hasn't done nothing yet. He just showed up. And the demon comes to him, bows at his feet, and begs Jesus not to torture him. You know what Mark's telling us? There is no devil on the planet that when Jesus shows up, it's not terrified of Jesus. Do you see that? There's no darkness going on in any of our lives that when Jesus shows up, the darkness doesn't drop to its knees and go... I can't do anything but beg you not to torture me. I want to be with Jesus. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of what we're getting here is that, man, if Jesus just has to show up and that's the way the darkness responds to him, then I want to go everywhere with Jesus. Right? Come out of this man. For Jesus had said, he's, he's begging, don't, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure a spirit. Now again, we think he's just got one. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion. Store just ramped up again. Yeah. Right? And their wording, Legion, could represent anywhere from a thousand up. Yes. This dude is possessed by a bunch of demons. Now the point of this, just to make it clear, is not for us to like try to talk to demons, that's stupid. The point of this was to show us how powerful Jesus is. Because at first it was just one demon, and the demon dropped down and was begging Jesus not to torture him. Now we have the revelation, it's more than one, it's a whole legion, it's an army of demons, and the story's not going to change. He says, my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many, and he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Would that not be a fascinating thing to experience? Somebody just comes up demon-possessed, and they drop to their feet at Jesus' feet, begging, 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 begging. I mean, Mark doesn't tell us how long this went on. Mark just says he kept doing it. He just kept begging Jesus. The demon did. Isn't that crazy? Like, what's going on in your life that you think Jesus isn't big enough for? That's right, this story should be all the proof you need that the darkness is not 
winning this fight. Right? It doesn't matter what the devil's trying to do. He's going to lose. In fact, he's actually just hoping Jesus doesn't show up. Because he knows he's going downhill as soon as Jesus... I find it very encouraging. <laughs> and the response of Jesus is actually kind of mind-boggling all in itself. Verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the hill, uh, nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, they're begging again, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. Verse 13, he gave them permission. Like, this is the weirdest thing, right? Like, they're, just, they're like, don't send us away, just the pigs are fine. I'm like, can we go to the pigs? Jesus says, okay, go to the pigs. And the impure spirits, now we see the spirits came out and went into the pigs and the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now, the story's going to ramp again. Ready for this? Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. Verse 15, when they came to Jesus, they saw a man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. That is so weird. Like the, the power of Jesus was displayed in such a powerful way that these people were afraid of him. That is strange to me. Verse 16, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. I love that. But this guy was set free, but you should have seen what happened to pigs. <laughs> then the people, we're going to get some more begging. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Fascinating. Isn't that fascinating? That you have the demon-possessed man when Jesus shows up. He's going to Jesus. And the demons are begging Jesus to leave. And Jesus sets this man free and heals him. And then the crowd comes, and they're also begging Jesus to leave, because they also were freaked out by the power of Jesus. This is so strange to me. Now remember, what am I talking about? I'm talking about how sometimes when Jesus changes you, everything about your life changes. And sometimes when Jesus changes you, not much about your life, circumstance changes. Everything about you will change, but maybe not about your life. This is where this story comes in. The people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, this was a short trip, I'd like to point out. He gets out of the boat, gets right back into the boat. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed, we're going to get our third person begging, begged to go with him. He wanted to go with Jesus. And this makes sense. Like, if we stop and we think about this for a second, Peter and Andrew are just fishermen. Like, what is the radical thing that happened in their life? They were just out fishing one day, and Jesus is like, hey, come follow me. And they left everything to follow. They don't have a powerful testimony, at least not according to Matthew's gospel. If you read the other gospel accounts, you'll find out about the miraculous catch of fish and all that stuff. But Matthew's like, that stuff doesn't matter. Jesus called them, they left everything to follow. And those guys, Jesus took with him personally. I mean, they're part of his inner circle, the 12, right? And they're going with him everywhere. But they don't have this radical conversion story about how Jesus set them free from all the power of darkness and all that stuff. They and now you've got this guy who Jesus set free, and he was possessed by a legion of demons, right? And this is a crazy, dramatic story. It's a story that everybody in the area is going to identify. Jesus did something miraculous in this man's life. And this guy wants to go with Jesus, and Jesus tells him, No. 
weird to me that Jesus wouldn't want to take this guy, but he would take two fishermen that really didn't have anything to do with the guy. But why? Why did Jesus want this? Let's look. Verse 19, Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus called Peter and Andrew. He said, come follow me. And they're going with Jesus everywhere that Jesus is going. This man is radically changed by Jesus. And the greatest mission of his life is to just go back home and let people know how good Jesus was. Yeah. Did you see that? Amen. You know what's really cool about this is verse 20. It says, so the man went away and began to tell him the Decapolis. That's a collection of ten cities. He began to tell him the Decapolis how much... Jesus had done for him, and all the people were marveled. And marveled, they were my version. I'm using it. It says amazed. Did you see what just shifted here? When Jesus was present and he performs the miracle and he sets the man free, the people were afraid. But when the man who had been set free goes and tells people what happened, they are amazed. You see that? Curious, how many people that you work with would be amazed if you just shared your story of what Jesus had done for you? Now, I also find this fascinating is because sometimes when we try to share our faith, we try to tell people what Jesus will do for them. Yes. Right? I actually think that is a terrible way to share your faith with people. Just a simple exercise will prove that that's a terrible way. Uh, if you're dealing with a lot of life issues, the last thing you want is somebody to come up and tell you, hey, you know what you're doing wrong? Let me just tell you what you're doing wrong. You know? Nobody likes that. Nobody wants unsolicited advice for their life, right? However, if I'm with someone and I have myself gone through some stuff and Jesus faithfully led me out of that stuff and I'm just telling people, hey, at one point in my life, this is where I was, but I met Jesus, and yeah. Jesus did something for me. Yeah. Then someone else who's sitting there who might be in a similar situation is going, for real, Jesus fixed that? Yes, he did. Yeah. Could he do it for me? Yeah. Well, we sing it, right? Hey, he'll do it for you. Yes. See, this man's greatest mission wasn't to go with Jesus. This man's greatest mission was to be sent by Jesus to the people that he was already doing life with. I am convinced that the majority of us who are called to follow Jesus aren't called to go do something crazy like journey with Jesus for three years in the wilderness. We're actually called to go right back to the people we've always done life with and let them see that God has done something in us. So that they might be amazed and go, who is this Jesus? So Jesus shifts the focus and the purpose of our life. I would also like to point out that Peter and Andrew, they were fishermen, and Jesus says, hey, now you're going to be fishers of men. What is that? It's a shift. The focus of their life is no longer catching fish. It's going to be catching people. There's a whole message there. It's really good. But I just want you to know that, like, there's a shift. How does that play out for you? If you're a mechanic, it doesn't mean you need to stop being a mechanic. It means the purpose of why you're a mechanic has changed. Do you yes. see that? I'm not just doing a job. I'm using this gift to bless people and to show people the goodness of God. Do you, do you see that? That's kind, of what I'm, that's kind of what I'm getting to. Sometimes when Jesus change your, changes your life, everything about your life will change. Sometimes not much change 
happens at all. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you'll turn there with me. All the people who use digital Bibles, you know, it's kind of annoying for us to turn pages and you're like, I'm in there. Uh, it's all good. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul, he's writing to this church, and I actually, I love what he writes, because again, I want to encourage you that maybe right where you are is exactly where you're supposed to be, and that's exactly the place that God has planted you to have an impact for his kingdom, right? And that's, that's kind of what I want to get across. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, Paul's writing to the church here, and he's saying, hey, I'm going to give you some general instructions about how to live a life that pleases God, Right? And in verse 11 and 12, this is what he says, and I love this. He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Well, a quiet life. You should mind your own business. Which means to be a t-shirt. Right? First Thessalonians 4, mind your own business. You know what I mean? He says, work with your hands. Do something productive with your life. Just as we told you. Verse 12. So that... Uh, you may walk. Yeah, can you switch that to the NIV for me? Is, no, you guys. Sorry. <laughs> what version is that? That's ESV. ESV. I'll have to talk to Patrick Kyle about that. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's all good. I have an ESV as well. Uh, anyways, I'm going to read it from my version. In verse 12, it says this So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. And so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Make it your ambition, your goal, your desire for life to lead a quiet life. That is really hard to do in today's culture. Right? But just lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Like, okay, so be quiet. Don't get involved in other people's stuff. All right, and do something with my life. Like, be productive, right? Just do something with your own Just be quiet. Don't get in other people's business. And do something with your, with your hands. Do something. And he says that in doing this, that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. See, I'm going to enter into life now with a new purpose, Right? What is the purpose of my job? My jo the purpose of my job, sure, is to provide for my family. Fine. The real purpose of my job is that I might go and influence someone for Jesus. Amen. Did you see that? He says your daily, everyday, the, normals, the normalcy of everyday life can be your greatest testimony to the people around you. Why? How does that play out? In a lot of different ways. How many of you work in a place where you have a boss over you? Yeah, me too. How many of you are ever in a situation where you're not happy with your boss? Anyone? Yeah. <laughs> if, if you work for your spouse, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> you're not happy with your boss, or maybe you're in a situation where maybe several of your coworkers are also not happy with your boss, and maybe there's a lot of complaining and stuff going on about that said boss, but because you're a follower of Jesus and the purpose of your life has been changed, the direction and emphasis of focus of your life isn't to just go to a job, but is to glorify Jesus and the normalcy of everyday life. And so when everyone else is complaining, you're not. Yeah. Hallelujah. 
and you have all the same reasons to complain, but you choose not to, and everyone else notices it, and they just so happen to also notice, because I believe that the way of God is the blessed way, that you're not complaining, and you also seem to be happier, even though you have all the same issues everyone else has. And somebody might say, what's different about you? Why are you like, okay, when we're all ticked? And you go, because of Jesus. Amen. And they might go, how does Jesus affect this? Let me tell you. Let me tell you. You see, the normalcy of everyday life. See, we miss Sometimes what we do is we can read what the scriptures teach us about how to live right, like loving your enemy, and we think it's just about us. And I, I want to present you this, actually not, it's about glorifying Jesus so that others might come to Jesus, because loving your enemies is a hard thing to do, but it's the way of the kingdom, and when I love someone who hates me, it's going to cause them to ask questions that can lead me to Jesus and the cross, and to say to them, even when I was an enemy of God, he loved me and gave his life up for me so I can do the same for you. No matter how long you hate me, no matter how long you mistreat me, I'm going to just show you love. Because why? Because in view of God's mercy, I offer my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is my true and proper worship. And I'm not going to conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind so that I may test and approve what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. The more I embrace the life of Christ, the more that Christ will shine through me and the more my communities and my co-workers and my neighbors might be changed by the power of the gospel because sometimes, sometimes when Jesus shows up on the scene, people are afraid, but sometimes when they hear the testimony of what Jesus has done, they're amazed. Yes. Right? Yes. I want to encourage you to amaze your co-workers. Yeah, yeah. I want to encourage you to amaze your neighbors by just leading a quiet, minding your own business, being productive kind of life. And not to see that as less than anything else. Not to see it as less than anything else. We're all part of the same body, and God puts each and every one of us in specific spots so that the body together as a yes. whole can grow and become mature and do the work that God has put us here to do. If all of us were pastors trying to build our own churches, there'd be nobody in the pews. That's right. Right? Yeah. And the scriptures are pretty clear. The pastor is not any more special or important than the person in the pew. Mm -hmm. right. don't, over, don't overlook the position that God's put you in. You know, actually, let me share it to you this way. I just saw some research not too long ago. My father was at a cover, not my father, my father-in-law. My father-in-law was recently at a conference, and they showed them some, some statistics on some research they had done. And one of it, we kind of knew internally, like we knew this was the truth, but now I saw it, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's true. They, they've done the research. They know this. Uh, do you know who has the best shot at getting someone who has lost to attend your church? Teenager. Who? Teenager. Well, uh, let, me, let me ask it this way. Who has the worst shot at getting someone who is lost to attend this church? The pastor. The pastor has the worst shot at getting anyone who is not a member of this church to show up to this church. And it makes perfect sense to me, right? Because if anyone's going to be a salesman for their church, it's going to be the guy who's the pastor. Right? So you imagine... 
if you're not saved and you're just, you know, doing your life or whatever, and the pastor of the local church, you know what, it's a great church. Really, I love it. People are great. It's great. It's fantastic. You would love it too. They're going to, you know, and he's like, oh, see, he's going to walk away. The person's going to go, of course the pastor's going to tell me it's a good church. But if Joe, who lives right next door to me, says, hey, man, you want to come to church with me? What's your church like? I mean, it's, you know, we got kids that run around. Sometimes they're loud. It's fun. You know, we're like family, though. You know, it's like family. And it's, it's a good thing. And God's doing some good things. And people just love each other there. I think you'd really be encouraged if you came. And we got a great thing for your kids. You know, we let them be loud and worship and then shove them into another room. You know, it's going to be great. And Joe might respond to you a little bit better. He might go, okay, why? Because I'm going to trust a friend who, who I believe is not trying to just sell me something. I have to live next to him for the rest of however long we live here, right? So if I lie to him for the rest of my life, he's going to be like, you're a liar, bro. I ain't ever trusting anything you say again, right? But if in a friendship, in a relationship that's already pre-established, I go and invite somebody to come with me to something, there's a much higher chance that they're going to do that, right? It's the same. How many of you remember when the rainbow vacuums were a big thing? Oh, you guys remember? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You did you really? <laughs> That's phenomenal. Uh, when the rainbow vacuum, they would go, they would go knock on your door, and they'd be like, "We want to present this cool thing to you," and it was a really fancy vacuum that used water. And uh, I remember one of the displays. Maybe you did this. They put you in like a bag or something, and they suck all the air out of it or whatever. And uh, I, was, I was the kid that did that when they came to our house. Anyways, uh, the guy comes and does this huge big presentation. He's like, look how amazing this vacuum cleaner is. And we're like, great. You get paid to tell us it's amazing. Soon as they leave, you're like on Facebook, hey, some weirdo showed up to try to sell me this vacuum. It's a rainbow. Have you ever heard of this? If I get a friend that's like, dude, I have a rainbow. It's great. I go, oh, okay. Maybe the guy wasn't just lying to me to try to sell a rainbow. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's the same way it works with church. Same way it works with Jesus. They expect certain people, like pastors, to tell them Jesus is really awesome. But when you, who are in relationship with them, and they see you every day, and they can see the difference in your life, that you're not complaining when everyone else is, that when somebody treats you poorly, you just bless them in return. When they see those differences... And they go, why? You can go, because of Jesus. And they go, well, it must be real because I see it. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Your greatest mission field can be the workplace that you've worked at for 15 years. And that's great. And that's what Jesus wants, right? Now, how are you going to live this out? How are you going to take this and live this out? I want you to know, I want you to be fully prepared that Jesus intends to 100% put you on display. He, he does it, and he's very upfront about this. When he calls us, he tells us all throughout Scripture, if you follow me, there's no chance that I'm going to try to hide that you're following me. He wants to put us on display. Matthew 5, 14 and 15, I'm sure that you're familiar with this. Um, it, Jesus said this to those who are listening. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, listen, this is Jesus. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
Jesus' intention with his church is to absolutely put us on display. He said it would be really stupid for someone to light a light and then cover that light with a bowl. Jesus is letting us know he is not going to be the stupid person that lights us all up and then covers us up. No, he's like, I'm going to light you up and I'm going to stick you out there for everyone to see the change that's happened. The shift that's taken place. Why? Because when they look at your life and they go, I've known this person for 20 years and now all of a sudden they're not complaining anymore. They're, they're being generous. I see them giving away their meal when they see somebody else that doesn't have one. They're giving their food to them. I see them loving people. They're treating them. What happened? Jesus put you on this way. And because in view of his mercy, you offered your body as a living sacrifice, people noticed it. And now they're amazed. You see? Church, I want you to know, and I, and I believe that this is your pastor's heart too, is that you know, we don't have to be loud and obnoxious to win people to the kingdom. Paul tells this church, hey, just live right. <laughs> just live it right. And, 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 and make it your ambition to just be quiet about it. To stay out of other people's business. And just be busy. People to see that you're a good person, that you're contributing, right? He says, and your life will win the respect of outsiders. And you're going to see Jesus do amazing things through you. I want you to grab a hold of that. I don't want you, and maybe some of you, and I'll be fair, some of you might be called to do something like missionary work or whatever. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. What I am saying is I really strongly believe throughout the scriptures what we see is that most people who make the choice to follow Jesus are sent right back to their homes. Because then they can just have this crazy impact, right? So I want to challenge you with that. I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you to maybe this week shift your idea of what it means to go to work. You're not just working a job. You have glorious purpose, to quote Loki. You have glorious purpose in everything that you do, in the normalcy of everyday life, in the way that we raise our kids, in the way that we treat our spouses, in the way that we go to work, all of this, all of the normal, just nuance of everyday life, we offer it to God as an, as an offering. This, I'm going to offer this to you. This is what I have. I'm going to give it to you. And just like with the man who was possessed by a legion of demons, if you will hear the words of Jesus when he says, no, don't do this thing you want to do. Do what I'm asking you to do. This man was fruitful. And he went out and he shared his story. And people were amazed. I'm telling you that if you will just buy into what Jesus is doing in your life, even if it means nothing about the circumstances of your life change, but you've been changed. And you live that out faithfully in front of others. You're the light that's settling in, right? Or listening. If you'll do that, I'm telling you, you're going to see Jesus use you to impact this community in your workplaces, and you're going to see the lost get found because you're just being that present, faithful witness of Jesus Amen. in everyday life. And God will use that and you will glorify him. Your church will grow. And I believe that. And that's my message for you. And I hope that encourages you today. I would love to pray over you. So if you will bow your heads and close your eyes, I will pray out today. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for Jesus, that Jesus changes our lives, that Jesus has come and he's shown us the kingdom of God and that you, Father, in your love for us, you invite us into your kingdom, but you have to change us and make us new. I pray that today, Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, who isn't in relationship with you, I pray that today they would put their faith in Jesus, that they would repent 
and that they would come to a saving faith in Jesus and become a part of the kingdom that you're building on this earth, Father. I pray that we would live out this change that you've done in us, Father. I pray that we would be the lamp on a stand, God, that we would know your words and your teachings so that we could go and live the right way in front of our lost friends and neighbors and co-workers. And, Father, through us and just us faithfully following you, God, that we would see the lost get found. God, help us to make an impact in our community through just our daily, normal life of glorifying you. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It was an honor to be back with you guys again today. And uh, did you have breakfast this morning? No. no. That was last Sunday. You only do that one, once? See, when, when Pastor Nicole was here, she was all bragging about us. And I showed up. No breakfast. Um, next time. Next time.